The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and today we'll be talking about more things that are business continuity and disaster recovery related. Today we're going to touch base on 12 things not to include in your business continuity or disaster recovery or emergency response plan. Now, as I go through this list, you know, I will have some qualifiers as to why I believe some of these items shouldn't be there. And that's coming from over 20 years of experience of running into different plans. You know, some are these massive binders, you know, with a thousand pages in it. And others, you know, are are these thin, you know, action-based plans. And really, that's what they should be. All our plans should be action-focused. I tend to have a rule of thumb that if you can't, get to your first action within the first couple of pages, you're going to run into problems. And that includes having a table of contents. You know, your cover page, your table of contents, and then on page one, you're just going straight into it. You know, who's doing what, when, where, and why. You know, uh, other times, and I'm sure many of you encountered this, you'll open up one of these massive binders, you know, thinking that, wow, it's just full of, you know, amazing information, things I can use, and I, I know this is going to be a fantastic plan. And you're on page 40 and still not finding an action. You're on page 50 and it's still nothing there. I've actually had my hands on a plan uh, written by uh, you know a, a company. And it was chock full of all this wonderful information, some of the stuff that I'm actually going to go through today. And you couldn't do anything or find an actual action until it was almost page 100 and it was over 200 pages long. Then when I got to the first actions, there was more of the same repetitive information. And really it turned out that all the fluff, like I like to call the fluff information was greater than the actual action oriented steps that you need, you know, to use when a disaster occurs or, or or a crisis or, you know, you have a problem or an issue. Anything that you're you're dealing with, these plans were just massive, but the actual usable information was very small and minute. It was just not worth it. And you don't want that. You know, and you don't want people to start flipping through pages trying to find out what it is they need to do. And, you know, where do I start? Where does this start? It becomes no value. And after a while, that binder just gets moved off to the side and people start trying to come up with their own things. You know, okay, this is what I think I need to do because they're thinking action oriented, but the document's not. 
It's not providing it. And this isn't just, you know, Word documents or Excel files or things in PowerPoints, you know, something that's printed. This is the same type of thing if you have an online application that you're using too. When you hit print and you know, or, or view or whatever it is you're clicking to see what it is I need to do, you don't want all this other fluff information to get in the way of what you're doing. You want to be able to get right to the point and say, this is my first step. You know, step one, thou shalt do this. Whatever it may be, whether it be, you know, uh, public relations or crisis communications or, you know, a, a plan that a department has to implement because, you know, their systems are down. So there's things they need to work on right away, manual processes and manual checks or start faxing information. Or if you're rebuilding a, an IT system, you know, an application or a mainframe or, you know, a server you know, you want to be able to get straight to the actions. So I've got a list here, and I had, uh, I can't remember actually which book I put this in, but uh, I think it's in uh, uh, either the last one, uh, Watch Your Step, or it's in one of the two volumes that I have on Made Again, called Made Again, sorry. And it's uh, 12 Things Not to Include in Your BCM DR Plan. Now, before I get started, I also want to clarify that I'm a strong believer of still having a lot of this information available, just not in the action plan. I tend to like to create what I call a program overview document, um, you know, which can be large, you know, which is fine because it's got all, all of this information that I'm, I'm going to go through in there. And keeping that off to the side as kind of the overarching document. This is our program. This is what it contains. And then underneath that, you've got your action documents, you know, how you build your technology, how your crisis management plan works, you know, how you activate your disaster teams and the roles and responsibilities within, within those various teams. So a lot of times I'm going to refer to that overarching business continuity management or disaster program overview document, whatever you want to call it, it's the one that kind of sits above everything. This is our program. Okay. So let's start. We'll go through our list of 12 things not to include in your business continuity disaster recovery plan. And again, these are the action plans that people are going to open up and start using. Number one, distribution lists. Now, I know already some people are out there going, what? We need to know where these plans are and blah, 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 blah. That's different. Knowing where a copy of a plan is kept, either online, off-site, in a lockbox, on somebody's shelf, that's different than the name of someone who gets a copy of the plan. Names change. You know, a copy went to Bob and Sally. Sally transferred somewhere else and Bob left the company a year ago. What good is that distribution list? But saying a copy is in this lockbox, it's off-site at this location, it's kept online at this URL, that's different. So let's make sure that there's a distinguishing point there. You don't want a list of, you know, 50 different people who've either reviewed or looked at it or has a copy somewhere, sitting anywhere, who knows where it could be. You know, you can give directions to people, you know, keep a copy in your car, keep a copy at home, or keep a copy on your bookshelf, or, you know, on your phone, or on this uh, USB key, anything like that. You just don't want that big, long list. It adds absolutely no value, okay? That's some of the information you may want to keep 
in the overarching document. You know, here's who gets all these plans. And it doesn't mean that everyone gets all the plans. You know, if Jim gets a copy of the IT disaster recovery plan, Jim may not be the same person who gets a copy of the crisis management plan. So you may want to keep those separate. I have seen in plans where that entire list, all the plans, are in every single plan. So if you have, uh, we'll just throw a number out there, 10 different plans, one for crisis management, one for IT uh, restoration, one for business continuity plans, one for emergency response, etc. The same distribution lists are in every single one. So if you have to update that list, you're updating all of a sudden 10 plans. If you keep all those distribution lists in the central location, off-site, in the uh, overarching document, you're only updating the list once. So, number one, don't distribute, don't incorporate distribu- distribution lists in your business continuity plans. Number two, methodology. A user is not going to care how you came about developing your plans. They're not going to care if you sat through the steps uh, outlined by um, any of the uh, business continuity or disaster recovery organizations. The user is not going to care. They're not going to care that you may have followed project management uh, 101, either a waterfall approach, you know, where something finishes before something starts, or an agile approach where something uh, gets, uh, you know, maybe 25% of the way through and then you start something else, you know, to reduce the timelines, you know, or they're, they're not going to care about that, right? That's not action-oriented. That, again, is information that would offer value, especially when people want to, you know, audit or governance or anything along those lines or if you're seeking a standard, you know, certification, that information would be fantastic in these overarching documents again, in the big uh, program overview document. But a user's not going to care what the methodology is, how you did it. So don't include it. It adds no value to them. You know, they want the action. You know, they don't care that you sat through um, to learn how agile project management works and then used it to create these plans. Whoopie-doo. You know, for a user, it doesn't matter. So number two, don't include methodology that you utilized to create these plans. Number three, program assumptions. Now, I want to clarify here with assumptions because I think just like distribution lists, people are out there saying, why we need to know assumptions, you know, they should be in there, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's two points to that. You have your program assumptions when you created the, the overall program and the various components. Right, you, we assume that we have funding from, um, you know, corporate, whoever that may be, finance or you know, IT or or someone else. You know, you may have an assumption along those lines, or that you have buy-in from the IT uh, vice president, or the finance vice president, or the marketing vice president, or you know, um, uh, the program has a seat at the C-level you know table when they meet on their schedule. That's a program level assumption. Those don't need to be in the action documents. If you do have an assumption in these uh, you know, action-oriented plans, you want assumptions to be based on the action plan itself. So uh, as an example, if I am to, uh, let's say, rebuild the mainframe you know, from tape, 
as an example. I don't think tons of people do that anymore because there's so many other different options, but that's one option because it's a good good example. My assumption may be when I get to a certain point that whoever is responsible for ordering these tapes from my off-site provider, storage provider, or wherever they're kept has been done and the tapes are either on their way or they've already been checked, you know, arrived and been checked by the appropriate group so that I can start my plan. That assumption is based on my action-oriented plan. That's different than the other assumptions I mentioned. The other assumptions can be in that big overview document again, but assumptions related to the actions, those should be in your plan. Otherwise, you know what happens, you will assume and uh, you know what they say, you will make a you-know-what out of you and me. So assumptions uh, attributed to the actions, yes, should be in these plans. But be careful, you know, some people may want you to add all this other stuff that doesn't need to be there. You know, you don't need to add uh, assumptions that have nothing to do with the actions being taken. You know, if you have an assumption uh, about a marketing vice president, that doesn't need to be in the in the IT disaster recovery plan, unless that marketing executive is doing something in that IT plan. You know, if they don't, they don't need to be there. Okay, so that's number two. Uh, sorry, number three. Don't include program level assumptions. Only include the assumptions that are related to the actions in the action plan. Number four, meetings and meeting schedules and who attended these meetings. Really, who cares? I don't. You know, I, 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 I've seen a plan that had every single meeting listed that had, uh, you know, every attendee and the agendas for each one. That added no value. Even in, the, in an appendices, it adds no value. Who cares? You know, you, you sit in the meetings and you came up with your contingencies, you got your decisions or whatever the case may be, you know, whatever the topic was. But that adds no value to the uh, action plan. Again, that information still adds value because it helps with your methodology and how you develop these plans. So that's something you want to keep off to the side but out of the action-oriented documents. The overview document, you may have that as an appendices. You may not even include it at all. You know, there is the argument you don't need this information. And I, myself, even after 20, what are we at? 21, 22 years of doing this, I still can't really fully be convinced that I need to keep all that information over the years. I really don't. You know, it doesn't do anything. I've got a couple of examples I may keep, but every single meeting, no. You know, so we really don't need to have that. And I'm really not worried about all the names of people attended because like your organization and ones that I've worked with, people change. They move on to other roles, new people come in, new lines of business changes, people's uh, positions. So all that information is just extra fluff that's not needed. You know, so you don't need to keep any of that. You know, if you want to keep it for audit purposes, like I said, then keep it as an appendices in the overall uh, continuity uh, overview document. But keep in mind, if you're doing it f for um, uh, tracking purposes for whatever reason, 
then you've got to record every meeting you have, you know, everything you did during your continuity uh, development, you know, the process uh, development phase, every meeting you have when you were creating the crisis management plan, you know, and the IT recovery plan, the, you know, the network section, the server section, you know, anything, mainframe sections. You have to keep track of all of that, you know, and create whatever it is you're creating to keep all that off to the side. And let's face it, after a couple of years of that, that's going to be a binder on its own. So do you really want it? Is it really going to add any value to you? You know, you keep a couple of examples just in case, you know, for whatever reason you're being audited and they turn around and say, well, prove that you had meetings to discuss this. Well, maybe keep a couple off to the side. I have to admit, I have been asked that, uh, especially in my project management uh, roles. I do get asked, you know, prove that, uh, you know, you, you had a meeting to discuss, you know, the development of a crisis management plan. So I just went back in my calendar, you know, created a PDF file of the invite. There we go, done. You know, but they didn't ask for scores and scores and scores of every single meeting invite. So don't feel you need to include that either, you know. Okay, so that's number four. Um, meetings, schedules, attendees. You know, um, they can be kept separate and keep them in the, the large overview document. And, and on that note, I think we're going to take a break before I get into the next point because some of the next ones get a little large. So I'm going to take a break now and I'll be right back. We're talking about 12 things not to include in your business continuity disaster recovery plans. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we're talking about our business continuity plans, our disaster recovery plans, our emergency response plans, and things that we shouldn't keep in those plans. You know, we should not be including this information in our plans. And we've already covered a couple of things. Distribution lists, methodology utilized, program assumptions, 
and clarify again, program assumptions, not assumptions based on actions, and our meeting schedules and you know, meeting attendees. So we're going to move on to number five. Next is our maintenance schedule. Well, if you look at any standards that are out there and uh, the you know, practices and from the uh, industry organizations, maintenance tends to have a little chunk on its own. You know, it's kind of a topic on, on its own. You know, when are we going to maintain these plans? When are we going to review them? When are we going to republish them? When are we going to test them? When are we going to you know, plan for our tests? When are we going to have test findings? When are we going to, you know, destroy old plans? You know, version control, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, how we maintain, you know, these things, how we keep them going, reviewing of names, reviewing of, you know, positions, reviewing of contact information, you know, emails and cell phones and um, things like that. You know, there was a time when very, very few people had cell phones. You know, it was all home numbers. Well, now you have to review because there's, and I'm running into it, there are more cell phone numbers than people have home numbers now. So maintenance schedules you're already going to have a plan for that off to the side somewhere. At least I hope so. You know, you should have one, how you're, you know, a maintenance schedule when you're going to be reviewing the crisis management, you know, uh, plan. That may be January. February may be the emergency response plan. You know, March may be, uh, you know, department contingency plans, you know, and their manual processes. That information does not need to be in every single action document. Again, that's a component that's going to go into the overall business continuity program document you know this is how we're going to maintain our program you know here's the schedule that we do it and that's something you obviously have to look at every year you know if not more than that uh, because you don't want things to go too long without actually having been reviewed you know I, I have started to see uh, with maintenance schedules a little bit of if we don't have any change in a year then we're not we're only going to review our BIAs, our business impact analysis, every two years and update our plans every two years, but we have to test every year. So um, there are starting, I am starting to see some sort of different ways of maintaining programs now because not everybody's got the resources to be able to continue to do this on an annual basis, depending on what's happening within their organization. You know, and um, some larger companies, though, you know, have to do it every year because of regulations and things that are out there. So, which is fine. You know, you adopt what is best for you as long as you're making sure that you do have a maintenance schedule. But if you've got all these different plans, you're not going to want that same schedule, that that individual plan on its own, embedded into every single action-oriented plan. Keep that off to the side. It doesn't need to be in those those plans. You know, again, can be in the overall document. You know, the, the program level document. So that's number five, the maintenance schedule. Number six, names. Now, I know I just a couple of minutes ago I said names, you know, probably force of habit there. But in a lot of these action-oriented plans, you don't want to have names because names change continually. You know, people move around, promotions, you know, they, they just get a new role, not necessarily promotion, but a new role because of an implemented product or service. So they're no longer working in a specific area. What you should have are positions. You know, 
vice president of technology or senior director of marketing, you know, whatever the position is. That's what should be listed. You know, if uh, action uh, item 13 is assigned to the director of sales, then that it's your role as the business continuity professional, you know, or whatever your title is, to make sure that the director of sales knows that they are responsible for that. You don't want to put, you know, Bob Smith or Sally Jones is responsible for this because if that changes, you know, either one of those people move on, move up, move out, you know, whatever the case may be, you're left all of a sudden with an unassigned task. So whatever that task 13 is, suddenly no one's going to know who's responsible for it because the people who were there, the names are gone. You want the position. The position usually stays around a lot longer than the name does. You know, so you need to validate that. You know, don't use the name and make sure you validate with the director of sales, the new one, you know, if it's a new person, that she knows, you know, Sally, are you aware that you are now responsible for this in our plan? And then you talk it out. You know, you may find out she's not the right person anymore, and it could be someone else in there. It could be the manager of sales because the director is new and is not, you know, fully aware to be able to do that for now. So, you know, don't put specific names, though, because they do change. You know, they, they move all the time. I've seen it before where uh, open up plans and it was full of names. And when I opened up the Outlook to send these people an email, half of them weren't there anymore. You know, and I asked, you know, where are these people? Oh, they're not here. They're not here. They're not here. And I said, well, half of your plan then isn't going to, uh, you know, get activated. And if you've got any dependencies in here, more than half of it isn't going to be activated. You are actioned at all because these people are gone. So put the positions and then you can find out, you know, through your org charts or through human resources or, you know, connections, whatever the case may be, find out who that person is and then you can do- talk to them directly. But don't just input a name in there because it's going to change on you. So number six, don't include specific names. Now, as a little caveat to that, there may be something where you only have a single point of contact or a single point of knowledge, you know, or a, a vendor, you know, you know, if you have to call a partner, a vendor, or a client, you know, and ask for a specific name. You might have to put a specific name. And if you do, maybe ask if they've got a backup too, just in case you can't get a hold of them. But try to get away from putting specific names in your action plans. So let's move on to number seven, the document audience. This is kind of in the same line, as I said, with a distribution list. The document audience, you know, the, this is everyone and their dog just about. You know, you write a plan and you send it out to everyone. You know, even people that would never see it. You know, the janitors all of a sudden got the IT recovery plan. Well, the probability of the janitor ever using that plan is very, very small, I would say. You know, that, that does not mean the janitor is not knowledgeable, just to clarify that. Uh, but those, you know, some people, reviewers aren't necessarily the ones who are going to be using the plan. You, you don't want... You know, everyone listed in here, this is everybody who's seen this plan. Oh, whoopee-doo. You know, even when audit or, uh, you know, certification bodies come along, they're going to want to know, you know, 
who signed off on this and who's involved with this, who owns this. Reviewers, you know, even in project management, well, they come and go all the time and everybody likes to review and get their two cents in there. But at the end of the day, you know, someone who changed uh, one word or fixed a spelling mistake, they don't need to be on that list. That's not adding, you know, a, a ton of value to anything. So you don't need to that, need to have a list like that, you know. Um, and keep in mind, the audience, you know, isn't always the same group that has a copy of the plan anyway. You know, Bob may have reviewed the plan, but Bob's position isn't mentioned in any of the action documents. He's not mentioned on the crisis management team. You know, he's not involved with any of that. So why include that? You know, you don't need it. You just want the basics, you know, who signed off on this, you know, because they're the, and who owns it, you know, they're the ones who's going, whose names you're going to keep off to the side, you know. So number seven, the document audience. Number eight, business continuity management, the disaster recovery program descriptors. Now I have seen this and it goes on for pages. Now what I mean by program descriptors is a page dedicated to this is what a BIA is. This is what a risk assessment is. This is, you know, developing contingency plans. And this is emergency response. Not the actions, but giving us detail of what they are. You know, you'll see that in uh, the standards, you know, that are out there, you know, from various governing bodies. You know, they describe all that stuff pretty good. Now, some of this information you may want, you know, a paragraph or two, but guess what? That's not in the action plan. It should be, again, in your big program document, you know, so that you define exactly what a business impact analysis is. I know, you know, everyone has, uh, you know, an understanding, I hope, of what a BIA is, but different companies, you know, have their own little spin on it, you know, and want to put their own verbiage in there, and that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you have to do what you have to do. But... Action-oriented plans don't need that. They don't care. If you're if you're actioning an IT disaster recovery plan, why do you need to know what a BIA plan is? You know, why do you need a page telling you that? Is it offering value? And again, that answer is no. It's not. So don't don't incorporate that stuff in all these action plans. Have it as part of your over overall program document. You know, you may have all the different components that are in your uh, overarching you know, a program document, you know, you'll have a section for BIAs. And in there, you may have, you know, your program assumptions, you know, you may have, you know, a maintenance schedule for it. And you may have some assumptions there, you know, and you may describe this is what a BIA means to us. You know, this is what testing means to us. This is what exercising means to us. That stuff you can keep in that document. And then, you know, you don't need to really review that over and over and over again. But if you capture all that information, all those pages, you know, um, some of them, you know, the standards are broken down into, you know, 10, 12 specific areas. Now, can you imagine 12 different pages like that in 10 different plans? You make a change in one and you've got to go to all the other plans and make that same change. But if you keep it in one solid location and the overall document, then you've got one page. You just need to update a review, and chances are pretty good if you never change your strategy you know, or definition of what a BIA is, you'll never have to change that part of the document. You know, you've always got it, but it adds no value to someone who's 
going through trying to find out when when do I start the mainframe recovery? When when do I do this? When do I do that? Oh, but look, here's what a BIA is. That has no value to them. That's not going to help at all. Here's one. So that's the uh, program descriptors. Number nine is the document approvals. Now, I'm 50-50 on these because I don't care to have PDF, embedded PDF files of, you know, reviewers. You know, I, I don't care that, you know, these 20 people reviewed. I do, would, you know, would wish to see the PDF files of those who signed off on this document. All the others can go in the program document. You know, we, I don't need 20, 20 uh, embedded PDFs in an actual document. You know, the actions, you know, if it's done, if it's for IT, you know, the ITVP uh, sign off and maybe the senior director of, of, let's say, networking, you know. Okay, they're the only two to go in there. You don't get all the rest. You can keep them if you want. You can keep them off to the side. But in that document, the only thing you need is who signed off on it. You know, uh, reviewers, you know, they tend to give you their approval and blessing and, you know, and, um, and that's fine. You know, they, they may, they may have been able to find a, a few uh, errors for all, you know, which is fantastic, you know, help, help make the, uh, the document better, but you only really want those that have gone through that document, understand it, have asked you lots of questions, have asked all the uh, reviewers and people that help create and give the feedback to that document, make sure all their questions are answered, you know, and they're comfortable with it before they turn around and say, yes, I sign off on this plan or whatever your your um, method of doing that is. It could be clicking a button in an email. It could be clicking a button in an online application or it could actually be signing a form. You know, I've seen that too where they photocopy it and they just put it as an appendices in the back of the uh, the binder. So whichever suits you, fine. Um, but you don't need everybody, you know, under there, you know, listed there. You just want to keep those that approve the plan, and they're usually the plan owners, you know, and you don't usually have tons of those, you know, just a couple of them, and that's it. So just keep those, the rest, off to the side. That's number nine, document approvals and sign-offs. Number 10, Project management definition. This is kind of along the lines of the uh, approach that I mentioned earlier on, the, the methodology. People don't care. You know, the, you, you don't need to define how you created the plan, the information that be kept separately in a program document or a document that outlines how plans were to be developed. You know, we decided we had a meeting to determine our approach. You know, it, you had a meeting to determine the meetings that you use to determine other meetings to create the plan. You know, you don't need all of that stuff. You know, it, it just doesn't matter. It adds no relevance to an actual plan. You know, so don't keep any of that in there. You know, it, it's great to incorporate, you know, uh, the, the, the stuff you really need in an actual oriented plan. But I consider all this stuff fluff. You know, I, I use that word a lot, actually, you know, when I talk about these sections, you know. It's fluff. You know, we, you don't need the project management or definition. You know, what is a project? You know, um, what is program management versus project management versus portfolio management? You know, um, this isn't the show for that. Um, we did have a show previously on project management with Sue Ross Baker. So if you'd like to know those definitions, please feel free to listen to uh, that one uh, on the site. Um, she gave some great insight on, on that. 
but that information does not need to be in these action-oriented plans. Okay, so keep that separate as well. That's number 10, project management and definitions. And we have a couple more to go, but I think now would be a great time to take a break. And uh, again, we're talking about 12 things not to include in your business continuity and disaster recovery plans. And we'll be right back with uh, preparing for the unexpected. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and today we're talking about 12 things not to include in your BCM or BCP or DR plans. So far, we've gone through 10 items. In the last segment, we did maintenance schedules. Number six, names. Number seven, document audience. Number eight, the, the BCM or program descriptors, uh, meaning all the various components of, of a BCM program and describing what each of them are. Document approvals and sign-off, at least those that are not the people who own the plans. For those that own the plans, you do want to keep, of course, so that you know they, they align. You know, this plan was approved by this person. But all of the reviewers, you don't need. And number 10, the project management definition. You don't need to define what a project is or what a program is in portfolio. Okay? So next, we're going to move on to number 11. Reporting mechanisms. Only those mechanisms you need you know, to utilize when you're actioning the plan should be in the plan. Now, let me clarify this. There are, you may be rebuilding a mainframe, you may be building a, a server, you may be uh, doing some uh, user validation testing. You know, in every hour you may be required to fill out a status report or, some, or provide some sort of a status to a central point, you know, the crisis team. 
and give them uh, information on how things are going, whether it's going well, whether it's going uh, bad, whether you're ahead of schedule, behind schedule, you know, issues you've encountered, anything along those lines. Now, those you may have an appendices that has a form or a, a phone number that you're supposed to call and you provide specific information that hopefully the, the plan says, you know, provide X, Y, and Z, you know, when you make this phone call or send an email to, um, you know, ABC at, you know, such and such uh, email account with this information in it, that stuff you may have to have to do and should be in your plan because that's a part of the actioning of the plan. However, the reporting mechanisms that don't need to be in the plan are those on the program level. You know, every month we will do a status report and provide it to the risk committee or the finance committee or the executive committee, whatever committee, you know, kind of helps guide, um, acts like a board of directors, so to speak, for your uh, continuity uh, program. You know, those things you don't need. You know, if you do a quarterly report for uh, the president, well, you don't need to have that in your plans. You know, that, that's kept separate. Again, that kind of information you're going to want in your overall program document. You know, this is, a, this is our reporting, our progress reporting, or our status reporting. You know, weekly we shall do this. Monthly we shall do that. Quarterly we shall do this. You know, for all we know, you know, you may have a, a report to do for board of, the real board of directors in your organization, you know, every uh, six months. Those things you're going to want off to the side. You know, they don't need to be in all these detailed plans. The re- reporting you do want, though, is when you need to report, you know, every two hours, I need to send a quick uh, two-minute voicemail, you know, or a quick uh, email to a, a, a committee, the crisis manager, so he knows what's going on, because, you know, at the two-hour, every two hours and 15 minutes, uh, she has a conference call with all the key participants and gives them a status. So you may be required to provide that status before that. That's the kind of thing you would have in your plan, you know, at, at whatever intervals are predetermined, you know, through your discussions as you build your plans. Those you're going to need to have in there, you know, but the big program stuff, you're not going to need to have in there, okay? So that's number 11, reporting mechanisms. Number 12, now I've been talking about it through this whole thing, and I even started to hint at it at the beginning, but all that program overview documentation does not need to be in your action plans. And by that, I mean, and I've been talking about it uh, at the very beginning, I mentioned a, a, you know, a huge binder, and I remember this, you know, a huge big blue binder full of information, and very little of it was usable. So when you open up your action plans in the first five pages, you know, or even less if you can do it, you know, there has to be actions listed. You know, this is the action, give it a number, you know, action one, you know, this is the action assigned to, you know, and, and you know, if you have any dependencies, mark, mark those, you know, when we finish this, action seven can get started that kind of a thing. But you don't want to have, here's our program overview. Here's what our program is made up of. 
You know, it's made up of a uh, reporting section, a project management section, a BIA section, a risk assessment section. And you go through all of those describing all the different pieces around them and all the various aspects, you know, the, the schedules, who's reviewed each plan, all the various assumptions. Because you're going to have different assumptions anyway. Those that are in your action plans, you know, you've got the assumptions uh, against all the actions, like I mentioned earlier. The program assumptions, each component is going to have its own assumptions. When you're doing a BIA, you're going to have some assumptions in there. When you're testing, you know, depending on your test, you know, uh, what you're testing and the the level of testing, you know, you could be doing a full simulation against a tabletop, you know, they're going to have different assumptions. And we talked, to, actually, I talked about testing uh, three episodes on that um, recently. So uh, if you have any questions on testing, please feel free to go back and listen to, to those. Uh, but all that program inf- inf- overview information does not need to be in these action-oriented plans. So that's number 12, program overview. Now, I'm feeling good today, so I'm going to give a bonus one. And this is one that I've seen in a plan before. Number 13, test and exercise results and corresponding documentation. You know, testing is a component on itself uh, within, no, no matter what standard you're, you're looking at or, or practice guideline or industry, you know, uh, principles, whatever it is, you know, no matter who's providing it, testing is always a section on its own. So it should have its own set of documents. You know, I talked about before scope documents, you know, the, the uh, findings documents, you know, and the, the, everything that corresponds with your, your tests. They, this stuff does not need to be in an action-oriented document. You know, you may be creating it, you know, to validate these actions, but it doesn't go in the action document. And so... Test results, if you have a, let's say, a large simulation exercise where you've got, you know, multiple locations, you know, dozens of people involved, you know, and you find lots of issues or not, you know, let's be positive. Let's say you didn't find any or just a couple, you know, uh, but no showstoppers, you know, that information, that's all kept in its own document, you know, a test summary document, test findings or um, whatever you want to call it, executive summaries. You know, and, and that's all validated against what you determined was going to be in your scope and what I called the test charter document. You know, you validate against those. But that, those findings don't need to go in the action plan because a user has to make their own assumption that when they look at this plan, it's been tested, that when they were testing, they went through all these steps, one, two, three, four, five, you know, however many uh, steps are in there, that when the test was performed, they were using this action plan. You know, when when you tested re, the uh, restoration and recovery of the network, and they're looking at the network restoration and recovery plan, they're assuming you tested this plan. At least you should be. You know, that's what you should have been using when you were testing. And they go through that. But having a, you know, an appendices or flipping through a page, we 
you know, action uh, 22, uh, this was tested on such and such a date, and this is what we found, it didn't work, blah, blah, blah. Well, now you've created this big paragraph for a one-line task. So the, the reader, the user, starts losing themselves, you know, because what they all, only wanted to get was that one line. But now you've confused them by putting all this other information in there. You know, this didn't work before. You don't really want to have that beside their action step because that's not going to give them a lot of confidence, is it? You know, you're saying, uh, yeah, we tested this, but it didn't work. You know, but here's your plan. You know, hopefully it works this time. That's not going to go over well. You don't want to have that stuff in there. You know, and you know, all the other documentation that goes with it. You know, what was in scope when we tested this? Uh, it was in scope for a tabletop walkthrough, but it wasn't in scope when we did a functional end-to-end testing, you know, a whole process. You don't want that. You know, you don't don't put that stuff in there. You know, or there's uh, other other bits, you know, more fluff that goes in there of where you tested, you know, and when you tested, you know, and under what conditions did you test, and the scenario that was used. None of that stuff adds, adds value. And... I know I'm, I may sound like I'm harping on it, but I actually came across this in somebody's uh, continuity plan a few years back. And I was trying to follow along uh, the plan uh, with all the, the various actions that were listed, but I found myself getting lost because there was so much of this other detailed information that didn't need to be there. And I said, you know, if you've got testing listed as a component you know, and as I speak, you know, in the overview document, let's say, you know, the, the, the big program overview that outlines all the, the, the program components. If you've got testing as one of those components listed in there, and you've got all these tests that you've done and associated documentation, you know, the, the planning stuff, the execution stuff, the, you know, the, the documentation you capture during the test and the, the findings afterwards, why is that all in here in the action-oriented document? Because you're ending up with, you know, one or two actions per page, and it's volume now. You know, just because there's more in there doesn't make the plan better, right? And that actually goes for just about every single item that I've talked about. You know, volume doesn't equate to a better plan. If I'm a user, I want to know what I need to do right away and when I need to do it. You know, and if there's a dependency, you know, I'm waiting, Sally is waiting for Bob to finish what he's doing. And when Bob is done, he lets Sally know that now she can start on something else. That's all I need to know. You know, action step one, two, and three. And there we go. Not one page, oh, and this this is when we tested it. And here's who tested it. You know, and what happened to all the findings. That just adds no value. None whatsoever. It'll be confusing. I did see this in a plan and it all these actions were spread out over dozens of pages and I said you know you could condense this down to like three four pages if it's just all actions all this other stuff and it was duplicated by the way in other documents I said what happens when you have to update this stuff the way it is now you're you've got an update you know nightmare you know, it's all over the place, you know, and if you're like me, you run into instances where you are updating something and uh, you get called away for another meeting or something higher in priority comes along. Now, you know, as you've worked through, let's say, 10 plans updating all the same information, you've got halfway 
you've got five plans saying one thing and five plans saying something else. So there's no need to have duplication. And that again, that's for every single item that I've gone through. We don't need it. So the last, you know, the bonus, I guess I'll call it, is uh, number 13, the test and exercise results, you know, and the corresponding documentation. They don't need to be in these action plans. You know, an action plan, you want to open the cover. You know, there may be a table of contents that says, you know, a mainframe recovery or a network recovery, you know, if this is the IT disaster recovery plan, you know, server recovery, you know, outlook, you know, whatever the case may be. And they can just jump straight to that section that says, thou shall do this, you know, activity one, activity two, three. That's what you want. You know, that's what will make these plans worthwhile. And it doesn't, and like, as I say, it doesn't matter if it's an online, um, you know, plan or an Excel or PowerPoint or Word, whatever format you have. When you give someone an action plan, they need to be able to execute it. They're not going to be able to execute it if you put a bunch of fluff stuff in there. You know, if you put so much wrapping around, you know, something, people are going to give up trying to find what information it is you want them to know. And they're not going to execute properly. You know, they'll start closing those binders, putting it off to the side, and coming up with their own activities of what they believe needs to get done because they're good people, right? These are smart good people that want your organization, you know, to, they want their organization really, you know, to survive the situation, the disaster and be able to move forward. They're not going to want all of this stuff, you know, in their way because they're all roadblocks, you know, and speed bumps, you know, and, and, and locked doors sometimes, you know, that just get in people's way, preventing them from doing what it is they want to do. So let's recap what those 12 things were. Number one, distribution lists, you know, especially at the program level, you know, where you're sending things to 50, 60 people. Number two, the methodology you used, how you determined, you know, you were creating this program and all these plans. They don't need to know that. Number three, program assumptions. You don't need the program level. Meeting, but you do need those associated with action items. Meeting schedules. You don't need that. You don't know, don't care when people met or how they met or who met. Number five, maintenance schedule. That's a component on its own. doesn't need to be in the plan. Names, try to use, you know, titles. Number seven, the document audience. Everyone may have seen that thing. It doesn't matter. Number eight, program descriptors. If you've got your overview document that has a section for BIA, that's where you put the descriptor. Number nine, the document approvals and sign-off. You don't need everybody's in there. You just need the one who, who approves it and owns the plan. Number 10, project management definition. You don't need all this. What's a project? You know, what's a definition of this? What's a definition of that? You don't need it. Reporting mechanisms. You only need the reporting mechanisms that deal with the plans themselves and the activities. Program overview. You don't need all that information. Because all that information should be, that I've already gone through actually, would already be in this program overview document. So don't combine the two with an action plan. And then number 13 as a bonus, the test and exercise results and documentation. So hopefully that's given you some uh, clear um, 
tips and guidance on you know how to create more actionable plans and what not to include in them. Again, I ask every week, if you do have topics you'd like to uh, have us talk about on the show or a specific guest or even yourself be a guest, please send me an email. I'll be more than happy to uh, chat with you and you know, come up with an agenda and get your message across to help uh, you know, the world hear what you, what you want to say and what your feelings are on business continuity and disasters. Could be lessons learned, could be you know, just a new methodology or ideas you have. I'm more than willing to do that. You can send me an email at info at stone-road.com. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week. Stay prepared, everyone. Take care. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.